What's up, everybody? Michael Johnson here with the Business Choreography Podcast, and I'm excited you joined us today because we have a very special guest today. We are so lucky and privileged to have the great Tim Urich on the show. He is awesome. He is a highly accomplished financial consultant, veteran, and thought leader in the industry, and the founder and CEO of Tier One Capital. Tim has spent over 35 years helping thousands of people across the country achieve their financial goals. He specializes in growth, growing businesses, attracting and retaining top talent, planning for business succession, and converting business equity into cash. Man, we're going to be so lucky to hear all of his wisdom and his journey today. I'm excited for you to meet him. Let's cue the intro and we'll jump right in. Listen, there's a lot to learn when growing and scaling your business. That's why we created the Business Choreography Podcast, where we talk about choreographing your marketing, operations, and sales into dynamic systems that increase your revenue and your impact. We'll explore solid business principles and discuss all things that make businesses dance to success with clarity. We'll help you figure out where the holes are in your business and what you can do to fix them. Think of us as your official business choreographers, aka your insider growth strategists. Remember, your choreography matters. Welcome to the Business Choreography Podcast. Tim, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I'm excited to have you here and to share with everybody the wisdom of your crazy journey. I'm sure it's been quite a winding road, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to start to jump in and, and jump right into your backstory. Well, Michael, it is certainly my pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to the next half hour, 40 minutes or so. Uh, I'm sure it's going to fly by. It always does. There's never really enough time, but we're going to try to dig out as much as we can from you and glean all the wisdom and knowledge we can from you along the way. So let's start with uh, how you got started and, and how you ended up down this crazy road to end up here. Well, you know, uh, so I was always fascinated with numbers and... Uh, I went to college to be a math major and everything was going swimmingly well until Calc 2. And then I got my butt kicked by Calc 2 and uh, I changed majors um, and went to, into economics. And that was really uh, probably where I belonged. And I, I was fascinated by economics. But the problem is with a, a degree in economics, if you want to utilize your degree, you have basically three tracks. You have banking, investments, or insurance. And uh, so I, I sort of knew I was not cut out to be a banker. And uh, because my person, I have I have a little bit more personality than the typical banker. Right. So uh, I did an internship with Dean Witter uh, when, when I was in college, and uh, they don't they no longer exist. Right. Uh, there's no correlation there between my internship and them no longer existing, though. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, and and I, I I sort of always liked the insurance side, and I, I started on that track. And then as time went by, the insurance industry transitioned into full service financial planning. And, you know, I've got all, I got all my licenses and was doing things that I was taught to do, which the industry teaches you to do. And I was planning for my clients and being, became very successful at that. And, uh, you know, in fact, I qualified for a million dollar round table within three or four years. 
and which is like the top seven and a half, eight percent of advisors in the industry. So, you know, thinking I was doing pretty well, uh, I was applying all of the th concepts that I was recommending to my clients to myself. And then I had this epiphany moment. It was the winter, the Christmas, actually, of 1993. I was at my parents' home with my brother and sister and their families, and we're sitting around the dinner table after Christmas dinner, and we're reminiscing about the old days, the good old days. And sure enough, the story came up about the time where we went up to get my dad's pay and the car wouldn't start. So to give you some backstory there, my dad worked, he was a welder, he worked in the coal mines and wow. um, the gentleman who owned the plant, uh, you know, would bring the pays to the plant on Thursday afternoon. So what happens was he would leave at lunch, go home for lunch, get the pays, and usually work his way back to the plant. Well, sometimes he would stop at a bar and have a couple of drinks, and sometimes he wouldn't get there, get back to the plant when it was when the first shift was over. So my dad would come home without his pay. So Thursday night was payday. My mom would give my dad his dinner and then go to the grocery store, cash the pay, and usually you could pay the gas bill, the electric bill, et cetera, at the grocery store back in those days. Right. And sure enough, um, occasionally my dad would not have his pay. And they were the fun days because my mom would put me, my brother and my sister. And we were we were just young kids at the time. I was 10 for context and. Uh, uh, load us up in the car and we would sit in front of this gentleman's house until he came home from the bar. And it could be seven, eight o'clock at night. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, my mom would get my dad's pay and then we would go to the grocery store. Well, this particular time we got the pay and the car wouldn't start. So then my brother had to go knock on the door, ask to use the phone, called my uncle. My uncle brought the jumper cables. The car still wouldn't start. So we ended up leaving the car there and, uh, you know, having to go back and get the car towed or whatever. But um, so we're talking about this and, you know, that was the embarrassing part for me going back, you know, at that point, some 20 years. And, and so I said to my mom, I said, Ma, why were we there? And she said, well, to get daddy's pay. And I said, why didn't you just wait till the next day to get it? And Michael, I'll never forget the look she shot me. And she said, honey, I needed that pay or they were probably going to turn off the electricity or the gas or foreclose on the mortgage. We lived pay to pay. And there was the epiphany. So at this stage of my life, I'm 31 years old. I'm making six to seven times what my dad ever made. I was single. I was broke. I was doing everything that the industry taught me to do. I had a 30 year mortgage. I refinanced to a 15. I was paying extra on the 15. I was maxing out my retirement account. Uh, so I'm trying to build home equity. I'm trying to max out my retirement account. And consequently, I don't have access to any money. So I had credit card bills. 
There were times, embarrassingly, that I had to borrow money from my father to pay my mortgage. And now think about this. I'm making like six, seven times what he had ever made in his best year. He was at this point retired. So the epiphany, Michael, was that I'm living pay to pay, but I'm successful. I'm doing everything right. Why is this happening? And so I, I figured out some things that I needed to do to change because I knew that I could not continue on this path. And it was so simple that within maybe three, four weeks, I was seeing much better cash flow. And I was in a much better liquid position. And then I just started taking these concepts and bringing them to my clients. And it was incredibly well received because, you know, I had clients who had two and three children that they needed to educate. They had businesses and, you know, cash flow was not always the best. You know, it was very cyclical. So I realized the market was telling me, oh, my gosh. This is something that's needed. So I, I started to take these concepts to my client base and to market market it to the general public and ultimately fell into specializing with business owners. I have a special place in my heart for business owners because I am a business owner myself. But more importantly, think of this. We did a research. We commissioned a research project. We hired a research company. There's over a million dollars worth of research, 42 pages of data. And it came back with something called the three disturbing trends that face small business owners and puts the next generation at risk. But the data that was pulled out of there indicated that small businesses comprise 44% of the overall GDP of our country. Wow. They comprise 50% of all jobs and 90% of all businesses are considered small businesses. Wow. So whether it's a, a, a corner gas station or a, a, a bakery or a nail salon, those businesses are contributing to the overall success of our country. And it's my mission to bring as much of this information to as many business owners possible so that they can free themselves from the unnecessary stress that comes along with difficulties in cash flow. Part of that survey, part of that research, uh, we found that 61% of business owners around the world struggle with cash flow. And 69% of small business owners admit to sleeping less or losing sleep due to cash concerns. Now. There's also studies that tie stress to or lack of sleep to stress and stress leads to an increase in risk for heart disease, stroke, cancer, high blood uh, diabetes, kidney disease, not as far also uh, at mental and nervous issues, suicide. And obviously, you know, it puts a stress on your relationship as as well as creating a, a difficulty for us to do our jobs or run our businesses. So cash flow is the lifeblood of every business and every family. Wow. I mean, what a what a cool inspiration to be able to take that and, and start to move with it. I I 
you know, you said a, a number of things here I want to dig into, but, you know, one of them is you talked about the three disturbing trends and you kind of, but Pat, I want to know what those three disturbing trends are. Can we dig into that a bit? Yeah, we can. So uh, first of all, one of the things that we'll do is uh, we will offer this um, usually. So my, the report that I have, it's a 19 minute PowerPoint presentation. And if anybody's interested, they can go to my website, www.tier1capital.com and schedule a strategy session. And we'll go through this report. And sure. basically, um, it's a PowerPoint presentation. We take the million dollars of research. We take 42 pages of data. We condense it into a graphically illustrated, easy on the eyes, very nice, uh, nicely um, comprised, we call it an executive briefing. And at the end of that 19 minutes, you'll not only learn about those trends, you'll be able to position yourself to take advantage of these trends rather than becoming a victim of those trends. Right, right. I love that. I, I am super curious about, you know, you talked about the difficulties in cash flow that a lot of businesses face. And I want to, to kind of bring those to the forefront, you know, and, sure. and you work with a lot of businesses that, that have those different cash flow challenges. Let's talk about some of them so that those that are listening can, can identify with it and go, oh yeah, I do have that problem or, oh yeah, that does sound familiar. I thought that was just how it is. <laughs> so let's talk about some of those uh, difficulties in cash flow. So um, first of all, first and foremost, any cash flow issues that a business is incurring or experiencing, that's a symptom. The root problem is how they're using their money. And one of the things that I found is that most business owners are unknowingly and unnecessarily giving up control of their cash flow. And I'll give you, I'll give you a, I'll tell you a story of a client. I met with, I met with this guy back in 2019. He was referred to me by a very good client of mine and an old friend of his. And when I called the guy and said, you know, so-and-so referred me to you, he said, oh, geez, how's Jeff doing? And I said, he's doing really well. Uh, I've done some work with him. He liked the kind of work that I did for him and thought you would benefit by meeting with me. He goes, hey, yeah, that's great. Come on over. You know, we set up an appointment. And before, it was funny because before we hung up, he goes, by the way, what type of work do you do? And I said, well, I'm in financial services, but there's other things that I could help you with. And he goes, well, I just want to tell you at full disclosure, I've got two financial advisors and a CPA that I meet with on a monthly basis. If there was anything out there that I need to know, those guys would have told me. I said, I'm sure of that. Um, however, nobody has the, 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 the market cornered on good ideas. The worst thing that's going to happen is I tell you everything you know, and, and you make a new friend and I make a new friend. He goes, you know, that's reasonable, come on over. So, you know, Michael, I'm meeting with this guy 
and he's got it. He's got it put together. He's uh, owns a healthcare business. He's got four locations. He owns the real estate and all four of those locations. He's um, making really good money at this point in the conversation. I don't know how much, but I could see that he's doing pretty well. He had disclosed to me that he and his wife, uh, their account balances in their retirement plan is just south of a million dollars. It was like 950 or something like that. So on paper, this guy's looking pretty damn good. And so I continue to ask him some questions, found out he's got some debt. He's got, he owns the real estate, as I said, on all of his locations. And he's got mortgages on all, all four of those locations. He also had two business loans and an open line of credit. And I mistakenly asked him the business loans, were they loans that you created to purchase equipment for your healthcare locations? And he said, no, he started laughing. He said, uh, and a lot of your listeners could probably resonate with this. I pay my quarterly taxes and sometimes I don't have enough cash flow to pay my quarterly taxes. So I take a draw on my credit line. And then, so I've seen this before. And I said, oh, so you take draws, let's say you draw 50,000. I said, how much is your taxes? He said about 50,000. I said, so you might have 20, you take a $30,000 draw, you pay back about 10 or 15 before the next quarter, then you take another 15 or 20,000. He goes, yeah. So I said, so you maxed out two loans and opened up another line all to pay your, your uh, quarterly taxes? He said, yeah. And so at this point I asked him, how much income do you make? And he said, about 650,000. So, wow, that's pretty good income. Let me ask you, when you were in college, what number were you shooting for? He said, what do you mean? I said, income. Now, what, what were you thinking would be a comfortable income? He goes, man, I was thinking if I could make 150, 200,000, <laughs> I'd be in pretty good shape. Right. And then I started laughing. He goes, well, you know, I probably should have shot for a little bit more. I said, no, I'm not laughing at at your goal. I'm laughing at the uh, how ironic it is that you're making two to three or three to four times what you ever dreamed you could make. And you can't pay your damn quarterly taxes without taking a draw on your credit line. And to your point earlier, he he said he sort of stopped and he goes, geez, I never thought of it that way, but that's just the way it is. And I said, it's the way it is because you were trained to do it that way. Right. And, right. and then I said, who trained you? He goes, what do you mean? I said, did the financial services industry teach you how to use them? He goes, yeah. I said, here's the deal. I know I could help you. It's going to create, it's going to require a paradigm shift on your behalf, but within probably a short period of time, maybe a year or two, you may never ever have to borrow another dollar to pay your quarterly taxes off of a credit line. Right. Are you open to that conversation? He goes, I'm all ears. So we set up a meeting and we started the process. This is again, is the summer of 2019. And after a couple meetings and some education, uh, we started a plan in October of 2019. So, um, Fast forward 
to July of 2020. I get a text, it's like July 8th or so. And he said, Tim, I just want you to know, I left my CPA's office today. We filed our 2019 taxes on extension. I just finished those taxes. And I want you to know that we had enough money to pay our tax obligation for 2019. I have enough money set aside to pay my September quarterly, my January quarterly, and what we're estimating we think we're going to need for to, to square up 2020 in 2021. Thanks for all you do for me and my family. Now, Michael, if the story ended there, is that a good story? That's a great story. I love it. It is. So, so think about what happened. This was nine months after we started a plan. He never had a draw again on his quarterly taxes. But here's where it gets incredibly better. Um, in December of 22, this past December, I met with him and his CPA. They met in my office. It was a Friday morning at seven o'clock. And we went over. I had, you know, the accounts that he had set up with me. And by the way, all the funding that we that we used to, to fund the plans that I set up for him came out of his current cash flow. So it didn't require him to reduce his lifestyle by one penny. Wow. Reduce his business cash flow by one penny. It was all baked into the cake, so to speak. Sure. So we meet in December of 2022. I know what he has with me. It's about $400,000 of cash. And he, uh, so, but at this point he had grown his, his healthcare business to seven locations. And each one of those locations was a freestanding company with its own checkbook. And when you added up the amount of cash he had in each one of those businesses, plus the 400,000 he had with me, it was $1.8 million. Wow. Now think about this transformation. This was October of 2019. And now we're talking December uh, of 2022. So it's three years. And we made, he made a huge transformation. He had, here's the point. He had the potential to do this all along. Nobody taught him how to do it. Right. And that's when I knew for sure that this was something that business owners need to know. Because here's what I found. It's not what you buy. It's how you pay for it that matters. Right. So in, in this process, the feedback that I'm getting on a daily basis from my clients and prospects is that, oh, my God, where have you been all my life? If if I had, I wish I had a dollar for every time somebody said, I wish I met you 20 years ago. I wish I knew this five or 10 years ago. Right. right. And so this information's out there. You just have to, unfortunately, you got to piece it together. Some people never get a chance to put it together. They'll go through an entire career doing it the way the industry told them to do it. And just think about all the lost opportunity there. And, wow. and there's some of the things that we, we teach our clients. I love that. And, and what a cool direction, you know, it's, it, we believe wholeheartedly in this idea of teach a man to fish and he'll eat for a lifetime. Right. But you Absolutely. give a man a fish. And I feel like what you've described a lot is the financial industry, maybe not as a whole, but a lot 
are, are very give a man a fish. Well, this is this is the best thing to do, so just do this. And a lot of times we trust them as our advisors and we just go with it blindly. How can we as business owners be able to put that into check? I mean, we obviously are experts at the businesses that we run and the things that we do, and, and that's where we want to keep our expertise. And so we look to leverage. I mean, in any successful business owner at, at this stage in the game, is already figured out that you have to utilize leverage or you're not going to grow and scale. You're not going to be able to do uh, more and have more impact without that leverage. So the financial industry and, and experts are a way for us to leverage that. So how do we know and learn and get educated enough to be able to know that that is maybe not in our best interest? I mean, obviously the, the whole of the industry is kind of teaching a lot of these ideas that you're talking about. So how do we know that that's not the best version? So think of it this way, financial services, companies, banks, investment firms, insurance companies, they won't exist if we don't utilize them. Right. Okay. So they have rules and here's their rules. It's four simple rules. Number one, get our money. <laughs> Number two, get our money on a systematic basis. That right. means every month. Okay. Number three, hold on to our money as long as possible. And number four, when we absolutely have to give the money back, do it over as long a period as possible. There are the four rules. So it's real simple. Break all of those rules, and now you're in control of your money. Right? So our process, our process is real simple. We go through your situation and we analyze and identify exactly where you're giving up control of your money. And one thing that I'll say, because I've been doing this since 1993. You will not argue with me that whether as to whether or not you're giving up control of your money. You will know clearly that you are giving up control of your money and you'll agree with me. That's the first step. Identify where you're giving up control of your money. Again, we have a four step process. The second step is the hardest step in our process. It's real simple. You got to stop giving up control of your money. <laughs> We're gonna, and, and so you laugh at that, but it's, and here's the point. These are things you've been doing all your life. These are things that your parents, your friends, your advisors, they're all telling you that, Michael, this is the right thing to do. But you see, when we talk about this paradigm shift, it's real simple. When you start taking into consideration the only thing that's important in financial planning, the only thing that's important in financial planning is, are you in control? Or are you not in control? If I implement this strategy, will I be in control of this money? And if you're not in control, you don't do it. Your decisions are so much more, are made with such more clarity when you filter it through the lens of you being in control. Right. But here's the deal. The financial services industry, think about what you're going up against from a marketing machine. Oh my gosh, huge. Right? 
they're very good at convincing you that to do something that's in their best interest. And how do they get you to do that? Because they get you to believe that it's in your best interest. Right. Here's a great here's a great example. When you go to get a loan, let's say you're going to get a mortgage, they have trained us to use one criteria and one criteria only when we're going to buy money, when we're going to get loans. What's that criteria? Credit score? Interest rate. Interest rate, of course. When we're, when we're shopping for loans, what are we shopping for? We're shopping for rate. Sure. The rate is not the problem. The volume is the problem. So right away, they take our eye off the ball. Now, you go to the bank. They say, Michael, uh, you want a 30-year mortgage on your house? Uh, the rate now is 6%. Sure. And you bang the table and you say, my family has been a, a, a customer of this bank for 35 years. We deserve a better rate. And the bankers, Michael, no problem. We'll give it to you our way. If you do a 15 year mortgage, we'll give you five and a half percent. And you say, see, I knew I could negotiate this. You turn to your wife, see, honey, I'm a good negotiator. And what did you do? You just gave up more of your monthly cash flow. Right. So now think of this. If the bank made the same amount of money on every loan, how many choices would you have? man one yeah the fact that they give you choices indicates that they make more on some loans and less on others wouldn't it be great to find out which loans they make the least on and then shop for those loans right so that's where that's this is where i've been trained and this is where we teach our clients how to handle their loans. Again, it's not what you buy, it's how you pay for it. And the industry is really good at taking our eye off the ball. The ball should be to look at it from a position of control. But you're in less control of your money with a 15-year mortgage. Listen, I did the same thing. Not only was I did I refinance from a 30 to a 15, where it sucked up more of my monthly cash flow, I was also putting an extra couple hundred bucks a month on that mortgage. See, I was in a race to get out of debt. But in my race to get out of debt, I was now incurring credit cards. So think about the stupidity of this. I went from, at the time, it was a 7.5% mortgage. And I was charging on credit cards at 18 19%. Oh, oh wow. That, that was a great deal, wasn't it? <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> so again, but if, and, and think about it, I'm sitting there thinking I'm, I'm an insider. I'm a successful insider in financial services. If I can't figure this out, what does, what chances does, does the average business owner who's all he's worried about is satisfying his customer and keeping his employees happy. Right. So these are the things that I, I, I sort of pieced together and I had to do it the hard way. Oh my but the God. great news is all the hard work is done. Right. And now 
we just we just sit down and teach this to our clients and those who who embrace it are much much better off oh yeah for sure for sure my goodness well i'm sure you have sparked some uh fire in our listeners today and uh and i'm sure they're thinking oh my gosh i i need this and so give us give us an idea of how we can get started how everybody can get in touch and start to figure out how they can take back control well um what we've done is we'll so um we're going to provide a buyer's guide for your audience um if you go to www.tier1capital.com and that's t-i-e-r the digit one c-a-p-i-t-a-l.com slash business choreography provide you with a buyer's guide it's called the six critical questions you need to ask before you choose a business succession executive and uh, an advisor for business succession and executive benefit planning now we have clients who just use us for the uh, cash flow piece right i could i I could explain a a situation that where we help some business owners just with their cash flow and it came back in spades wow perspective well that's awesome i appreciate you putting that together for our listeners and uh super excited for them to go and uh and find out more about what you're doing because i don't know about you guys out there but gaining back control of your money that sounds pretty good to me i I think that's a i think that's a great thing so go take up tim on this offer go over to tier one capital.com business choreography and uh and get the resource that they put together for you because for goodness sakes take advantage of his wisdom and his experience and all the years that he's put into finding this out for you guys to make a difference so that being said tim any last words for us before we let you go well you know we always uh, we have our uh, youtube channel and uh we always end our every video with it's not how much money you make it's how much money you keep that really matters and boy i I can't tell you how true that is and it's funny most people that we meet are making really good income but they're suffocated financially because they're doing things by the book and again the financial industry is really good at getting getting control of our money wow well, I appreciate that. We we are so thankful for your wisdom today and thank you so much for joining us. Guys, everybody listening, go take action. Go check it out. And until next time, keep choreographing your business. We'll see you on the next episode. Take care. Thanks for joining us today. Want more business choreography? Check out our website at bizchoreo.com to find out more. And find out how the choreography for your marketing operations and sales can raise your revenue and create more impact. Remember, every business needs choreography.